0: <laughs> okay. Oh. Matthew ten. All right, Matthew ten. There's a Matthew ten. I'm going to deal with Matthew ten and eleven today, and I'm not going to. I'm not going to be long. Um, I'm gonna try, okay. I shouldn't say. I shouldn't say things I don't mean. <laughs> and uh, sorry about that. Okay. Uh, and I, I want to say to you, I love preaching through the scriptures and reading the scripture and soaking in the scripture. And, um, and uh, like I said, in the middle of worship, maybe at a wrong time, doesn't matter. God does not reveal the kingdom to those who think they have it all together. In fact, it's those guys who thought they had it all together that really missed it by a mile. He, he reveals himself to those that are open. So I want to ask you, humbly, do whatever you need to do to get open. Do whatever you need to do. Sometimes people say, like, I don't know what to do. Do whatever you need to do just to, 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 to open. To genuinely say, Lord, I open myself to you completely. I trust you completely in every area completely. And then when the dark night of the soul hits you like a ton of bricks, then you just say, Lord, I welcome you. <laughs> You know, it's amazing that Jesus was, uh, was, went to the, the river where John the baptizer, his cousin, was baptizing people. And um, John said, wow, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And Jesus walked in and he says, I'm not worthy to be, for you, to baptize you. You should be doing this to me. I'm not worthy to even touch your sandals, which is like a real thing. And, and, and he said, no, no, let's fulfill Scripture, because like Eric said last week, Jesus' entire mission was so wrapped up in fulfilling the, the, the law, okay, to fulfill it, to bring it to completion, that he followed, he followed the Spirit of God into the waters of baptism, where we have this incredible affirmation of God the Father over him, and over you, and over me today, same thing. This is my daughter. My delight is in her. This is my son. And not just third person, but Tom, you are my son. Yaku, you are my son. I'm well pleased with you. And his humanity, fully man, fully God, submerged, submerged, yes, and baptized, and came out of that. The Holy Spirit came upon him, and the Bible says, remained on him. And straight away, he was led by the Spirit into the desert. Okay, I am sorry. Okay, I'm sorry that it sounds like I'm always doing this. Okay? Like I'm always trying to quench the fire. I'm not. I just want the real fire. And particularly in our cultural context, listen to this. We, and I'm reading broad now guys who are contentious and secularism and the post-Christian world that we live in right now? What, what if we are like on the precipice of something that is humongous? What if we are in the darkest hour of the soul and of the world right now? What if the depravity of secularism is actually at an end as much weaker than we think it is? And we are the hope of the nations. I mean, what if that's the reality? And we can contextualize the gospel as much as we want, get great lights lights and and mega speakers and whatever the case, whatever people do to make it more relevant to our world today. We can do all that. We can even reapproach Scripture and deconstruct it so it makes more sense to a world that has a different cultural understanding or an ability to perceive Scripture. We can do all those things. And none of those things are necessarily bad. But guys, let me tell you right now. When we come to the end of ourselves, Matthew says, we are blessed because there's more of God and less of us. When we come to the end of ourselves, and some of us say, oh, I'm at the end of myself, but you've not even started to get to the end of yourself. The affirmation of God was, pre- was, pre- was, was, was succeeded by a desert experience. And there the enemy came and enticed him to make things happen that wasn't by the Spirit. So there is this counterfeit reality and there's nothing, no matter how great we contextualize, no matter how brilliant our teaching, and I know it's kind of at a par level, so it's not like brilliant, but no matter how amazing the speakers are that come in and out of here, there is nothing, there is nothing like when revivals began in the world, in the history of the world. And you can study them. There's so much documentation on that. When a Whitfield cut to the end of himself in the dark night of the soul, said, God, I am nothing, I am nothing, I cannot do a thing. When John Wesley said, I cannot do a thing, will you set me on fire so people can watch me burn? That's all I want. Was it Wesley who said that? Yeah. When, when, uh, when uh, Daddy, Daddy Seymour, a one-eyed black slave, wasn't allowed into the church where the Jesus' Street revival began and sat on the veranda outside, and God looked past everybody else and chose him because he was so utterly deprived in his own confidence. Who am I? Nothing. No one. And God said, I choose you. And all the stuff that goes on, all the stuff in the world that goes on, I feel honestly it's so pressing on my, right, on my soul right now that Satan wants to take us out badly. And the enemy never in Scripture is demonstrated as a big monster with eyes and a head that spins around. No, he's the angel of light. He wants to lull you into complacency. He wants to preoccupy you with your own emotional brokenness. When you are in relationship with the healer of all things. When your identity is not shaped by what you were shaped by, but by the one that you worship. And that's the one we become like. You become like the one you worship. And there's this numbness in our souls that God is saying, Come away with me, my beloved. Come away. Come away into the come away to this quiet, still desert place. Where there's no hype, there's nothing else. It's just you and me. And when you're at the end of yourself, there's more of me. And this treasure, which is beyond anything else, is in jars of clay, vessels of clay. That's our God. I think it's when we're at the end of ourselves where we actually start to step out, maybe first steps of faith. And uh, we've had so much teaching in our lives, I think we've gorged. And as we heard Pete Kazero say thousands of times, you cannot separate emotional maturity from spiritual maturity. The two are so in, incongruent. I don't know if that's the word, but they grow together like a, like a muscle. So when we're at the end of ourselves, there's more of God and less of us. God and His rule is what the scripture says. So we say we want the kingdom, but we must want the king of the kingdom. And that is the premise of Matthew 10 and 11. context so it's a bit of a discourse i want to ask you something straight up and honest right now we we are we are a relatively small group and i can say a lot about that but there were 12 disciples and i think directly because of their lives today 2019 is it 19 or 19 we are here we are here We are bond servants, bond slaves. We don't carry the yoke of slavery that Galatians speaks about. No, we are bond slaves. We've given our ability to choose over to this king of this kingdom. And the enemy wants to silence us for sure. The way that he wants to do that is through complacency, mediocrity, and just our first response being the world's way instead of what the scripture says. And if anything, if we can cheer each other on, despite our personalities, talking about myself, not all of us are crazy, lovable, and likable, you know, like Chan and like other guys around here. It's just naturally liked. But despite that, let's look through that and encourage each other, cheer each other on as far as the things of the kingdom are concerned. That's why. As a psalmist, it's not a position here, not at all. It's just a platform, a platform that we are all on, where I would want to say to you, we sang a song this morning, (laughs) Uh, uh, um, though the battle rages, we will stand and fight. It doesn't mean like we will stand and fight. I would want to do that a lot, but it doesn't mean that at all. It means we engage on on that different level and we sing it, and we declare it, and we worship, and we encourage each other in the faith, and we press on, we press through this transitional time until the next generation comes through and through and through and through. For those of you who are 50 years old, your greater days are definitely ahead of you. <laughs> For those of you who are 60, you are just coming into the prime era and days of your lives. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. And and, uh, I love the fact that everybody always comments that we have such a cool demographic age-wise and stuff like that. But this church does not exist for the next generation. We love the next generation. It exists for our generation, the next generation, and the next generation, and the next generation. That's a given. But it exists to be an expression of the kingdom of heaven on earth. With a king who is Jesus whom we yield and submit to and obey. I've got to get to Matthew 10, All right, so, it's a discourse on mission. The context of the mission, and Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel, I'm just reading, I'm backing up a little bit to where Eric did such an amazing job last week, so, and Jesus went through all the cities and villages teaching the synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. And when he saw the crowd, he had compassion for them. And because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd, then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. The paragraph sums up the ministry of word and deed. Word and deed. The enemy would want us to be a people who are a word people only, or a deed people only, a spirit people only, or a word people only. And you can almost take every uh, social scenario in life and in history and fit them into those two categories, word and spirit. We are now the generations, or the people, or the people alive on the planet Earth today for such a time as this, who want to see the culmination of the the word of God and the spirit of God. The word of God cannot find fulfillment in our lives without the spirit of of God, unless it just becomes an ethical... Or a moral ladder that we're trying to climb. We need the Spirit of God. We have authority. Remember, He given all authority to us. He has it, He gave it to us. So we have the authority. And so much of this that we that we that we live out every day hinges on that authority. Almost everything that goes down in church comes back to authority. Whose are you under? And how are you expressing your authority in the world? Not pharisaically but like Jesus would, and this is the model. So word and deed. And so uh, and then the calling of the 12. This list, this list is, is repeated in all the Gospels and uh, is, 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 is obviously important because of that. And Matthew listed the men in pairs and probably um, they were sent out two by two, just like we, we see the Gospel says. So he lists them in pairs. And, um, and they're parallel to the 12 sons of Jacob. This is just a bit of historical thing to you. it super hot in here. I'm burning up. Mike, why are you laughing? That's so hot, so hot. Okay, so there's this parallel, maybe the 12 tribal leaders uh, that you can read about in uh, Numbers chapter 1. Um, in Matthew 19 verse 28, these men are given their eschatological places as the 12 apostles who will sit on the 12 thrones alongside Jesus to judge the tribes of Israel, which is a pretty big deal, and I can't really get my head around that, all. that's all I'm going to say about that. And then uh, Jesus perpetuated the ancient leadership structure, not based on tribal affiliation, but based on the call of the Messiah. The call of the Messiah. I remember in Zimbabwe years and years and years ago, it was a team of us, about 50 of us with Kia. We were in the bush and we were sleeping in, in the bush. And um, the one night Kia said, uh, we're going to have some, such an amazing time tonight. We're going to meet this guy called More, And he Love more is just a local pastor. And we walked into the place, and Lovemore was a, was a Shauna man, Shauna. And um, beautiful, absolutely beautiful. Him and his wife came in, out of the darkness, into the light. Their faces shining with the very radiant presence of God. That's the only way I can describe it. And Vaseline. And, the, and, and they, started to, they started to pray, and instantly, instantly, I mean, when Lovemore opened his mouth, he said, welcome to Zimbabwe. It, it was like, the tangible Like thick weight of the glory of God was there. And I looked at this and I thought, wow. I didn't exactly think this, but along these lines, like, wow, who is this guy? In the middle of the bush, there's literally nothing around here. A couple of scrawny, very skinny cattle and maybe a hut or two or three. But in walks a man who's not qualified because he is a royal prince, but because he has been called by God. And the reason I remember that is because that's what Lathmore said. He said, what a privilege for me, in a very strong Swahili accent, no, Shona accent, beautiful, to be here and to serve God here because because God has called me to preach the gospel. And so none of these disciples here, none of them, you could look at their lives, they were a bunch of scallywags, were there because of any royal blood or anything. They were there because Jesus called them. Likewise, for you and me. The call. Remember, it's not to the perfect. It's to those who want to follow. It's to those who are open. So we preoccupy ourselves with our own imperfections and there give ourselves, give into the destruction of the angel of light. And it becomes about us instead of about this Jesus to whom we surrender and say, take it all. Who agrees with that? Yeah. Woo! And that's why God will use the outcast and the broken and the socially awkward and the the, in the eyes of the world the ugly and the ungifted and he will use them. He will use the foolish things to confound the wise and the weak to confound the strong. That's what he's like. And so our confidence can never be as we enter this kingdom in our own ability. It just can't. It just can't. We don't have enough. So... So note that he gave them, and he he called to him, the 12 disciples, and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. Please just say, "Every every disease. To heal every disease and every affliction. So you can think of any disease right now, and Jesus gave them the supernatural gift of authority over those things to heal them. Remember, no stature in their life, no royal blood. They were just responding to the call of God. And forgive my super simple pragmatism. Therefore, therefore, if we're not walking in that depth and level of authority, maybe I shouldn't do that. I shouldn't probably do that. Can we ask ourselves, have we given all? I just said, yes, Lord, take it all. I'm following. Where are you going? I'll go. What you say, I'll say. I have no confidence in my own ability, but I know that everything in the kingdom flows through my life, through my hands, through my words, through my life. The supernatural gift of authority He gave them. He gave them authority to cast out demons, to heal every disease and every affliction. The names of the twelve apostles, and I'm not going to read them. You can go and read them, okay? Just to save some time. But just to reiterate, that He gave them authority, not medical training or physical or physical. Uh, physical muscles, he gave them what? Authority. Gave them authority. That's why when you drive around, when you drive through Georgetown, the spiritual, in, the spiritual powers that are over those cities, friends, we cannot think, we, we cannot think that there are not spiritual enemies and strongholds over our cities. We cannot think that. We know that, right? Even if you have some rhetoric past experience or someone told you in the past that there are things like that, they definitely are. You cannot think you can sit at a Hindu temple and do a chant in Thailand because they make nice samis and nothing's happening. You cannot. You cannot think that you can dabble with the things of the world and playing goes. and, and all, as long as we're all joking and laughing and it's fun, it's fun. Nothing's happening. You cannot. You cannot do that and pretend like nothing's happening. They are definite spiritual principalities and powers, definitely over our country. Jesus speaks about greed more than almost any fruit of the flesh through the Gospels. Greed. Everything is rooted in greed. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life are rooted in greed. Materialism is a massive stronghold. How are we living countercultural, Out of a kingdom flow. And on and on. And so when you drive through your cities, wherever you are, Flamborough, I'm going to mention it every time now, Georgetown, Milton, Mississauga, Oakville, wherever you are from, you realize that you are in submission to this Lordship and authority, the supernatural gift of authority has been given to you. How do we know that? The Word of God says that. If you believe that, then the greatest thing for us, uh, Belinda said it this morning in prayer meeting, is to put our feet where our faith is, to put our money where our mouth is, to step out of the boat into the area of faith, believing God, because we, how do you know you believe in God? You're out of your own depth. You know that you're standing there, and some will say, wow, you're just being super cocky. No, you're just being sometimes petrified, but you're standing in a place where you are defying the laws of gravity all around you, like Peter walked on water. He walked on the words of Jesus instead of on the water. So when you go, you carry the supernatural authority of God on your life to change spiritual environments, to speak life, to bring healing And if everybody doesn't accept that from you, that's okay. Jesus speaks about that very clearly. Now, chapter 10, there are three aspects of the mission. To whom are they going? They are going to the Jews. So chapter 10 of Matthew is not to the Gentiles. Jesus had not yet been crucified and raised from the dead. And he makes it very clear. Go to the lost sheep of Israel. So don't take a staff, don't take a purse, don't take money. Just go because you are Jewish. Go and be among the Jews and preach the gospel to the Jews in particular. And I've given you the supernatural gift of authority to, as you go, to heal the sick and raise the dead. And drive out demons. And set the captive free. To whom are they going? And the nature of their mission was, like I've said ten times already, word and deed. It, can't, it wasn't just a proclamation of a coming of a kingdom. It was now a proclamation of a coming of a kingdom and let's heal the sick. Any dead people, let's raise the dead. Yes, I want to walk in such authority. It's amazing. And it's also amazing to me that John. No, a rabbit trap. How they are, um, and then the third thing of the, the Jesus mentioned the three aspects of this thing, and I'm actually wanting to get to chapter 11. Uh, to whom are they going? To the Jews. Nature of the mission: word, indeed. And, and 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 then Jesus added a third thing quite interestingly on how they are to be fed when they go. So hospitality of the Jewish people is how they will be fed. They're not going to uh, they're not going to uh, raise funds. It's, they're not going to have a cake sale before they leave. They're not even taking a purse. They're not even taking a, 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 a stick to protect them or, or anything. They're just going to the lost sheep of Israel. And he says that um, you won't get to all of them before the Son of Man returns. Um, and, and you guys understand the context of that. I'm not going to go down there. So context that they are now going as representatives of the Messiah, and they will have to consider hostility. Um, that they might face just like. In other words, the way that people responded to Jesus will be the way that they respond to these disciples. That you travel light, keep moving until the whole of Israel is reached. Why only the lost sheep sheep of Israel? This, um, this specific commission only to the people of Israel was obvious, obviously because of the messianic call of God to his people and the state of the incompletion in this time. It speaks of the incompletion in this time. And again, Jesus fulfilling the promises of God. Not yet to be a rebellious, cocky uh, magic man, but to say, okay, the word of God says that all the people of, of the Jews must be reached. And chapter 10 is, is basically just that. The commission of the disciples, Jews, to the Jews, and the way they must go, not raising money, but just go, if they receive you, go in, have a meal with them, bless their house, which, which means, you know, if someone's just died, let, let's raise them, and so on and so on, and then go until Jesus had died and raised for all the world, that's us included. So in verse eight, Jesus already had wide recognition for his super, uh, super, uh, supernatural, and people would therefore expect um, his disciples to represent him in the same way. And uh, so, and Jesus said this in a very matter-of-fact way. There was a movie once, I think it was, I think it was a Mission Impossible, and they had this English guy with the, 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 and they had to break into the Kremlin to get something. Come on, guys. Yeah, and, and then the and then the, the one guy said to the driver, he says, Are we gonna break into the Kremlin? And he goes, Ha ha I thought you said we're gonna break into the Kremlin. He said, Yeah, we're gonna break into the Kremlin. And, said, yeah, the Kremlin. and uh, every time I read this, I don't know why that movie clip jumps in my head. And Jesus is like, Go go and raise the dead <laughs> I thought you said go and raise the dead. What? You mean raise the dead? Are you serious? So very matter of fact, like, wow then, and there's no actual there's no actual account of the disciples doing that until until Acts there's two or three accounts uh, with Peter in Acts nine and Paul in Acts twenty. Okay, and uh, and by the way, in the conclusion he says, "Don't charge for your services." So if you if you obviously there were some like the witch doctors still do today, if you want to have a boyfriend or find a find a wife and you know, pay me you know, this much and I'll do a chant and burn a monkey and, and good luck. You know, so no, don't charge. So can you imagine? Can you imagine if your child died? Hey? Can you imagine if Levi died and Alice came to visit me and said, hey, let's raise him from the dead. Levi, in the name of Jesus of Nazareth, stand up and Levi wakes up and stands up and says, wow, can we order pizza? I'd want to give everything I have to Alice. Jesus said, don't take anything. Just reach them. Okay. Anyway, it's, it's just it's wonderful. So the pronouncement of peace has always represented the coming of the kingdom. Verse 12 and 11, he said, go and, pro- and announce peace, pronounce peace. And it's the coming of the kingdom. And um, there are many scripture references to that uh, where the kingdom is tied with peace, the coming of peace, Isaiah fifty-two, fifty-five, Psalm 107. Psalm 147, Matthew 16, 18, and I've got all the scriptures. You can have it. I'll forward my notes if you need them. And then he says, shake the dust of your feet, which, and this means that they won't be accepted everywhere, and in such a case, they are to totally disassociate with, us, with such people. And I, and, I, and I feel sometimes, even today... When, uh, when, we, uh, when we live our lives, they are ripe bananas, there are mangoes that are ripe, that as you touch them, they'll fall in your hand, and there are those that are green. And if you pluck and pluck and pluck and pull, you'll pull the mango off, but with the mango comes this white sap that'll pop in your eye, and you'll have a burning, horrible experience. And if you eat a green mango, you'll have diarrhea. So, wait for the Lord. They are those that are ready in your life. If you yield it to the sensitivity of the kingdom, you're walking in the authority that God gave us as he commissioned us. Our lives are his and we realize we're we're not perfect. We are relying on him, but we're not preoccupied with our imperfection. As we go, we become aware. People start to illuminate. We become aware of people. Sometimes in the most unexpected places. And as we grow in our faith and we take these small opportunities, sometimes we will be rejected. And like, the, like Jesus said to Jeremiah, God said, they're not rejecting you, they're rejecting me. It's cool. It's okay. And so we know sometimes we will be rejected. And for any, for any of you who have ever done anything on the street, you know what it's like. It's brutal sometimes. But other times, wow, it's like a home run. And the world has changed for a person because we've responded in such a way. And so if people don't respond to the Jews, he says, that was a traditional way of saying, <laughs> "You're on your own and just leave," kind of thing. So shake the dust, which just means there are people that are ready. This could be, uh, no, 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 no. Okay, because of me, there were. Uh, and then he said he sends them out like sheep among the wolves, speaking of a generation that wanted to devour. And he, Jesus was led like a lamb to the slaughter, um, not raising his voice, not defending himself, and so on. Okay, everybody still cool. Okay, I'm. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna. I'm not. Gonna, mm, mm. Yes, this is such. Okay, I'm gonna do eleven. Okay, I just want to see if there's one thing in ten that I. Um, the end of the age, eternal kingdom. Okay, if you, if you, if you into it, you guys. Matthew chapter ten has a very strong parallel to Daniel chapter seven. Okay, if you if you into the kingdom thing, oh, it's absolutely amazing. Just go and read it, just one to fourteen. The son, and it's basically about the son of man having been given dominion and finding the expression of that dominion through his church, which which is us. Okay, Daniel seven. If you want to go and read that, so and I'm going to sum up Matthew eleven quickly. How long have I been? Seven minutes. You know, I listen to some of these commentaries that these guys say. They speak for, for an hour and a half on like three verses. Okay. <laughs> We're going to get cushions for the pews. Okay, I'm wasting time. <laughs> so when Jesus was finished instructing the twelve, we went on from there to teach and to preach in these cities. Now when John heard of, of, uh, in prison, verse 2, about the deeds of the Christ of the, of the Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? Wow. Skip back a little bit. John, behold, the Lamb of God takes away the sin of the world. John preaching a baptism of repentance to incite and to ignite a fire in the lives of people in that area, that the kingdom of God is coming. And with it, it's king, the Messiah Jesus Christ, his cousin. So, this is the same John who says, are you the one, or should we expect another? We know that John is in prison, because he was very outspoken towards Herod, because Herod was having an affair with his brother's something, wife, I think his brother, but anyway. And John said, straight out, was put in prison, and we know that John was beheaded a little while later. Okay? So, Despite his essential role as a forerunner of salvation and his status as one of the greatest prophets who ever lived, in verse 9 and verse 11, John remains outside the messianic community. As one of many that was mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11, they call that the messianic community men of lineage through the line, through the lineage of, of Adam, David, and Jesus, who looked forward to such a great time of salvation but never experienced the privilege of it. <clears throat> like you and I. And we'll get to that in Matthew chapter 13. So, <clears throat> okay. Why did John ask this question? <clears throat> okay. I'm going to go out on a limb here, okay? If you have corrections for me, tell me afterwards. But this is what I feel. The, the scripture in the Gospels that says there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth um, um, was mentioned with the ten virgins when the doors closed and there were the people outside. was men- mentioned with the, the servant that, didn't, that didn't, didn't dress up in the robes of righteousness at the wedding feast and in a couple of other contexts as well. That, that gnashing of teeth, as I've, as I've mentioned before, is not a, a suffering gnashing of teeth as if you're sitting in the midst of a fire. It is, it is uh, And I did not study this, but I heard this from a, from a Hebrew scholar, that the gnashing of teeth was a, a sign of anger. It was anger and resentment towards God. And in the words of Dallas Willard, the best thing that God can do for some people eventually is help. Think through that, okay? Just think through that. Because they literally are so angry and vehemently opposed to what he's like. I, have, I had a friend for many years, okay, who lived th- like, and I think we all do this in some way, but I'm just being open with you, who lived through me. And he wanted me to make people pay for things that they did wrong against him because of, because of where, where I was as a, as, a, as a leader of a church. And uh, it was so... Horrible. It was so horrible. Yaku, why aren't you doing something about that? Why aren't you doing something about that? Why are you doing nothing about this and about that? As if, as if everything that was not right in our human walk, which is a lot, was somehow my responsibility. And eventually, our friendship ended over that very thing. Because I would not take action against someone that had wronged him. I would not take action. And I'm in no way trying to paint myself in any good light. I promise you I'm not doing that. But John came. The Pharisees were there. They expected the Messiah to come and overthrow Roman rule so that the Jews could rule. They were disappointed. That was the premise of them taking Jesus to a Roman cross and executing him. John's opinion was, here comes my cousin, Jesus. Okay, I said to you, this is my thing. And he is going to overthrow the Jews and their legalistic system, the, 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 um, uh, the synagogue, What is, the, what is the, the Sanhedrin. He's going to overthrow them and he is the Messiah. I believe that. He is the Son of God and he's going to come and he's going to take that place and rule. But his mindset was still that of rule and control and ultimately making people pay for their sin. I think this is so massive. I do. Because Jesus came and paid for our sin. And Matthew and John 3:17 says, Christ did not come into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world from their sin. And it says in Luke that he came to take away the sin of the world. For this reason was the Son of God manifest or made known. People see to take away the sin of the world. Not once does it say, for this reason was Jesus manifest to make people pay for their sin. And the reason I started with the gnashing of the teeth is because I feel this is the root of that reality. Somebody's got to pay. My friend Ezra in the, in the Church of the Islands had, had seen a movie, I don't know what movie it was, but he always used to joke when we were out fishing about something and then there was some, some, some open discussion that we couldn't come to a conclusion about. He said to me, Marie, somebody's got to pay. Those were his words. Somebody's got to pay. stuck in my head forever and ever. Still now, we jokingly say that. Somebody has to pay. Jesus stepped into the scene and said, I'll pay. John said, no. You are here to enforce others to pay. The Pharisee says, you are nobody. You must pay. But you're not paying for my stuff. And all of them ended up gnashing their teeth. Okay, now I'm pushing it. Now John's in heaven without a shadow of a doubt. So John, dude, you did awesome. You were the greatest. But the Bible says, he was the least of the kingdom. The smallest one in the kingdom of heaven was greater than John the baptizer. Does that make a little bit of sense to you? And, and, and the blessing of God, that God that the promise that God made through Abraham that we will be a blessing does not mean that everything in our life is going to be hunky-dory. Please, get over that right now. But He will enable us through the dark nights of the soul. He will empower us to break through the walls He will enable us by his grace to absorb the hostility because they are treating us as they treat him if we represent him well. Does it mean we never get frustrated? Heck no. I'm absolutely weak at that area. I need God's grace so much in that area all the time and I know that you guys do too. We all do. We absolutely do. But John asked the question, are you the one? Just a little bit later before that. Behold, the Lamb of God takes away the sin of the world. No, somebody's got to pay. Are you the one or should we expect another? And Jesus' response was, nobody's paying for their sin. Instead, the sick are healed, the dead are raised, and the demons are fleeing. And then John's disciples saying, and this is where you can find the tinge of this reality. This is where I'm basing it off. John's disciples came to Jesus and said, The Pharisees are fasting, but your disciples don't fast. Why? Can you see the mindset? Can you see the mindset a little bit? It's our effort. We've got to pay. We've got a kingdom to claim. And Jesus did the exact opposite. He said, my kingdom, I can call down any second anybody to destroy. That's not the point. My kingdom is not of this world. It's the upside-down reality. It looks like you guys are listening. I'm, I'm, I'm finishing. Okay, so Jesus gave his, est- his estimate of Jesus and uh, John, uh, his generation. Okay. Um. Sorry. Yeah, I'm going to have to leave a lot out. I'm sorry, okay? Um But to what shall I compare this generation? Okay, this is verse 16. Uh, It is like children sitting in the marketplace and calling uh, to their playmates and saying, hey, we played the flute, but you guys didn't dance. We played the the, the harp, the dirge, the the dirge, I don't know what it is. You guys didn't cry. You guys didn't play the game. You guys didn't engage. John gave uh, his, his estimate of Jesus, the Jesus of John, It's now the culmination about, uh, Jesus basically speaks about this generation. And it reoccurs several times. There's lots of verses referenced with this. With various uh, uncomplimentary adjectives like wicked, perverse, unbelieving, adulterous generation. This passage emphasizes the failure of a generation to hear and carry strong disapproval from Jesus With a threat of judgment. Threat. And it comes down to their lack of response to the kingdom. They did not hear. They could not hear. Because their hearts were hard. Hear. You hear with your ear. This is how my Sunday school teacher taught me this. You hear with your ear. The heart is the seat of the ear. If you take the H away and the T away, you have the word ear. In the middle of the heart is this ear. And they couldn't hear. They just couldn't hear it. And Jesus speaks harshly about them and says, you're going to be in trouble. And, um, and, and it's not the words of a disciple or any, anyone else. It's actually in red in my Bible. Jesus actually said it. And this is what Jesus had to say to these cities who refused to respond. Woe to you. Sodom and Gomorrah's judgment will be easier than yours. And I think because Jesus was manifest in front of them, he walked among them, touched them, raised their dead and their sick, and they would not hear. They refused to hear. And they were duped. Their hearts were hard, and so their ears were closed. So hard-heartedness, friends, is deadly. There's my conclusive pragmatism again. Hard-heart, you cannot hear. And you could see it with some people. You could say something to them, they don't hear it. It doesn't mean that if you say it, they hear it, they don't hear it. And the same with me. Same with me, okay? There's some things I just can't hear. I, I, my heart is closed in those areas. And, um, and uh, I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to be able to do this. But I want to finish with this. John wrote the book of Revelation. This is not John the Baptizer. This is John the Intimate, as they call him. They also called him John the, the Re- Revelatory one, the one who got the revelation. He was the one, the only one who was not martyred for Jesus, although he was boiled in a pot of oil and he was exiled to Patmos where he had the revelation of Jesus. The book of Revelation is, it's not revelations, it's revelation, it's the revelation of Jesus. I want to say this to you, the ear is closed when the heart is closed, the world and all its stuff, Jesus says, closes the heart. So the ear cannot hear. So you can listen, but you don't hear with the ear of faith. Um, the only thing that softens the heart is intimacy. And I know I sound like a stuck record, but if you're not making time and specifically putting down certain things to come into that place alone, intimately with Jesus, your heart will remain callous, your ear will remain deaf. And John the intimate was John the revelation man. Out of intimacy, comes revelation. There's no other way. Revelation is what we want to live by as, as believers. Not quirky, repetitive quotes from another man's dark night of the soul. But when you are there and it's dark and you have nothing else, your idol will quickly be revealed to by what you run to, who you listen to, what you agree with. In every area. From your sexuality, to your finance, to your children, everything. What you run to? Fear. What is it? What is it you run to? Control, isolation, secretness. Those things, those are counterintuitive. They harden the heart. The ear goes deaf and deaf and deaf. And friends, there is a shocking reality about this. Jesus warns over and over and over, and I hope you're reading Matthew through us, against this reality. If your heart is hard, you will miss the kingdom completely you can participate in church activities but you'll miss the kingdom that is devastating and you'll just live for yourself and the consequences of that reality is dire one of them is that the next generation will not come through can I say one last thing the purpose of the Jesus this because it's such a point in Scripture. Jesus said, come to me. All you are weak and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. Learn of me. Okay, I'm humble and meek. That's what he says. Come to me. Come to me if, you, if you're weary and heavy laden. The yoke that Jesus has, yoke is something that you need to make a weight light. So coming into a covenant with God does not mean we're walking without weight. We want weight. We want the glory. The glory is a weight. Glory and weight is the same word in Hebrew. So the yoke that Jesus is is the ability to carry something that is heavy, easy. And then it says in Galatians, not in Galatians 5.1, don't go back to the yoke of slavery, but take his yoke upon you. His yoke is easy. Amen. Thank you.